Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Yep, yep, ghetto boys is back and reloaded. All in your mind, yeah, now deep throated. This is for the streets, the real, the railroaded, the disenfranchised, the truth, the scapegoated. And they know it, we speak the truth, so they quote it, cause we wrote it. The north, south, the east coast, it's the GB knocking, we keeping your head bobbing. It ain't no stopping, and, and once the beat drops in, violins, the system is so corrupt, they throw the rock out their hands and then blame it on us. It's GB, don't get it twisted, on code and we ain't dancing for no buttermilk biscuits. So, so the, the crazy thing is like when you are teaching, especially in like underprivileged areas, right, mm-hmm. of town, you know, you're at the schools and you're trying to do your best, you know, to, to you know, get these kids on the right track. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes these kids, you don't know what these kids are going through at home. You don't know kids come to school hungry. Right. Sometimes they, if they don't come to school, they will not eat. Uh, they come come to school after being assaulted by family members. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they come dirty. Yeah, they come. It's the same outfit where the average person may think, "Oh, they must really like that outfit." They may not yeah. have another outfit. Right, and then it's also the peer pressure of that kid who noticed that they're wearing the same thing that mm-hmm. might tease them, mm-hmm. you know, cause that happened to me, uh, you know, crazy thing. I had a, a guy in my classroom, you know, he started making fun about my clothes and we started fighting. Mm-hmm. We got suspended three days, we came back to school. The first day back, he was like, I'm still going to talk about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we start fighting again. Oh, boy. This time they put us in sack, you know, mm-hmm. uh, detention, right? And uh, he was one of those people that I kind of put in that same, uh, you know, cluster of detractors that I wanted to get back at when I got paid, mm-hmm. right? And so after I got paid, 
got to the money. Yeah, you know, I, I rode up to, I was riding around in Maserati, and I'm in, I come through the McDonald's parking lot, and I see him. Mm. And, uh, you know, I called his name. I see this guy, mm. he's like, he looks like a crackhead. Mm-hmm. Skinny, dirty clothes. I called his name, he turned around, teeth gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I called his name and I say, yo, he said, yo, what's up, Willie D? Mm-hmm. I said, what's up, man? I say, so you all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, you need a ride? Nah, nah, I'm good. I say, mm-hmm. we're here. Back then, you know, I had just started making money, so I wanted to show off. So I always had thousands of dollars in my pockets. So I probably had about ten thousand dollars in one mm-hmm. of the pockets, and I pulled it out and gave it to him. Wow! And uh, at first he he refused, and I said, "No, I'll take it, man, take it." You know, I don't need it. And I gave it to him, and I drove off. But it goes to show you about life. I thought that it was going to make me feel good to snub him, you know, to put it and rub it in his face, you know. That I had made it. Look at me. I'm this big successful guy. Look mm-hmm. at me. Well, but I felt sorry for him. I felt really bad. And I felt bad that I even felt that way in the first place. Like that I felt like I had to uh, like accomplish something great, you know, to be accepted by a person, you know, or someone. You know, I, I, I felt like I had to come back and, and, and prove that I was worthy, you know, right. uh, of, of, of somebody else's you know, praise, uh, you know, or recognition. Like you said you know? earlier, the attention. Yeah, right. And you want to be recognized. You want to be known literally for doing something. Unfortunately, now a lot of uh, young and even some older people want to be right. known for doing something, and it may not be good. Right. That 15 seconds of fame. Everybody just wants, everybody just wants that, uh, that attention. And... You know, it's crazy because, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. Like, I, I, I double salute you for what you do because you don't just, you know, teach. I mean, you're really ingrained in, like, really like the, the, the correction and the rehabilitation of our, of our young people, you know, who are out there who are going through it. That's a tough position to be in because you live with that. You go to sleep with that. You wake up with that. Right. You know, you eat with that, you know. It's stressful. Uh, it's constantly, it's very stressful. you know, on your mind, you know. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very difficult thing to deal with, you know, especially if, if you've already had your own traumatic experiences, right? You know, right. Which, which you can speak to. I, mean, I don't know if you want to speak. No, that's, that's you know? fine. I'm comfortable but with yeah, it. But, yeah, you know, so, so, you know, with the situation with your mother, you know, mm-hmm. it came a time when you didn't feel safe around her. Right. Um, that's why I said dysfunctional family. You get this picture and it, it looks great, but you don't know what's on the backside of the picture frame. Right. And as I got older, my mom started to be more, I guess you would just say downright mean and abusive. Because she had been done wrong by so many men. In Did you her life. feel like she was jealous of you at all? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Okay. She had made comments about, uh, "Oh, you think you're pretty? Well, mess up your face. 
I wore glasses. And she would say things like, I'm going to break up your glasses. Oh, God, I really can't see now. But I was like, okay, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Don't don't poke the bear. Don't don't give it any more energy. I would just be quiet. And I wasn't the kind of young teenager who did stuff to get in trouble. All I had to do was breathe oxygen. All I had to do was be there. And if she had a bad day at work or someone had just literally pissed her off, I was going to get it. I was going to get it. And my grandmother would be the one to say, run, get out of the house. And I would run. And I would run to my neighbor's house. And I would stay until my grandmother would say, okay, you can come home now. And I grew up with that in my teens and didn't think it was abnormal. I thought, maybe this is what everybody goes through. I had nothing to compare it to, but every family has something. But what is that something? It might be, um, you know, grandparents, like my grandparents, who took care of you. But when I got older, I understood, oh, my grandmother married my grandfather because... He could take care of her when she was 14, 15 years old. That's, like you say, nobody would do that. They, not normally, don't do that here in the United States. In other countries, oh, yeah, that's quite normal. But who would have thought of that? Who would have pawned her off like that? But my great-grandmother, I know, loved my grandmother hugely. But with my mother, she, according to what my cousins and aunts would tell me she just had this mean streak in her and the physical abuse that she received just accentuated it Uh, she had one other set of children supposedly with my biological father and I say a set because they were twins and they didn't live so I literally was the oldest and then the only child but um In my 20s, I I always worked. I always wanted to work because I wanted to have my own money because there were things that I wanted. And she said, oh, I'm not buying that. or I'm not paying that. And we didn't know allowance. It was just if you ask, you would get if it was feasible, if it was possible. And one particular time I had a, a really, really decent job, didn't have a degree yet. And uh, I said, come on, let me take you out my mother and my grandmother, and we were riding in the car, going down 288. I don't remember where we were coming from, but I said, let's go to the, uh, which is now Chacho's on 610. I said, let's go to Bennigan's and sit down and eat because my grandmother always cooked. And my mother said, I don't, I don't want to go there. I want to go home. And I said, okay. I said, well, to keep her from having to cook, Let's go there, and we get it to go, and we bring it home. And she said, I told you, I don't want to go there. I said, we're not going to stay. I'm just going to buy the food, and we take it home to eat. And right about then, I heard, 
and she had a gun to my temple. And she said, if you don't turn this motherfucking car around, I'm going to blow your goddamn brains out. And I pulled over the side of the road. My grandmother was hysterical. She was just out of control crying and telling her, don't do that. Don't do that. Put the gun down. Put the gun down. And she said, no, she's going to take me home. That's what I said. She's going to take me home. And when I stopped the car, I got out and went running down the freeway, yelling and screaming, somebody help me. Somebody help me. And somebody stopped. And it was like a bad movie, but I was the star. And said, my mother's trying to kill me. I need somebody to call the police. And someone did call the police. It, it was like I was just, let's say, free falling. And I couldn't control anything. And it was totally gone from my mind. It was like I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't remember anything. It was just that traumatic for me. And uh, police came and took my mother to jail. And we went on, took my grandmother home. Keep in mind, we were all living together, me, my mother, and my grandmother. So, you know, you and get your that. your grandmother had to make up bond, I'm sure. She did not. She did? She did not. Ghetto Boys Reloaded Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125-milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR-positive HER2-negative NBC as the first hormonal-based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. 
Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. My mother called. She got her her jail call and said, bitch, if you're still in that house when I get out, I'm still kill you. And I told my grandmother, I, I got to go. I got to go. Man. I was maybe 21, maybe 21 years old. And, so that's when uh, you left the house? I left and you I left went and stayed good? with my, no, I didn't. I actually went and stayed with my aunt, my grandmother's sister. And not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, and I paid them, paid them rent because I, I couldn't stay for free. But they let me come and go. You know, I went to work every now and then I would go out. But otherwise, I was I was like a hermit. It was like, no, I'm, I'm not trying to do anything to cause any more issues with anybody. And though I say making good money in terms of, well, can you pay rent? Can you pay your car? No. Can, well, it wasn't that kind of good money. So, um my grandmother had started to get real sick. And she said, I, I really want you to come home. She said, and I talked to your mother and I told her, you're killing me. I need her to be able to come back home. So like a relationship, you know, where somebody says, I'm going to beat you, I'm going to beat you. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to beat you anymore. I apologize. And you come back and then they beat you again. Oh, I didn't mean to do that again. It was that kind of a cycle, but I came back and helped take care of my mother, and that's when I went on and uh, got in HCC and got the, the good job learning how to do the surgery piece. So that redeemed me, and I helped take care of my grandmother until she succumbed to cancer. But my mother's mind, things had started to change tremendously with her, and I could see it. And if I said something to anyone and other people would say, oh, you know, your mom just had them crazy way. Girl, you're a crazy mama. Like my pastor said, you ought to start asking, but why are they crazy? Yeah, we say it flippantly, jokingly. And, but and why do you why? think she was acting like that? Why do you think? Well, when... Some years had passed, married, family, and everything like that. Uh, I didn't realize my mother had really started to go in the wrong direction mentally. Was she on drugs? No. She, when she went in the hospital this last time, I had not talked to my mother in probably five or six years. She took herself away from us. We didn't take ourselves away from her. I found out my mother had gone through a homeless stage. She was living in a car. She had lost everything. She had lost her home. House had caught on fire. She didn't want to tell anyone. She didn't have insurance. Um, she had been sick and in and out of the hospital. She was just really in dire straits, but she would never reach out. I would 
kind of keep tabs on her, like get so close just enough to see and know where she was or how she was doing, but never approach because I knew that was probably set Anything her off. Set off yeah. yeah, and I, I didn't want to do that. Ironically, when I was working at another school in the district on the northwest side, I, I'm a thrifter. I love going to the thrift store. And I was in the thrift store, and I saw a lady out the corner of my eye, and I was like, that looks, no, that no, that is definitely not her. And sure enough, I was like, okay, go and see, just go and see. And I turned around, and I called her by name. And she turned around and looked at me. And she said, don't come close to me. I knew it was her, but I knew how she was. I didn't know how she was at that moment. I should say, I know how she was previously. I didn't know how she was at that moment. And at that point, you hadn't seen her in five years. Yeah, and at least. the first thing more. that comes to her mind, the first words that you, you hear her utter when she sees you, when she lays eyes on her daughter, mm-hmm. the child she gave birth to mm-hmm. is, don't come close to me. Right. And she told someone in the store, that lady's following me. Because I was watching, and I was. And so, and so it has to be in the back of your mind. She probably have a gun. So exactly. yeah, I am. I'm gonna keep my distance. Exactly. Yeah. So I turned and I I went out the store and went to my car and I cried, and I cried and I cried, and I didn't try to get in touch with her. One of my fraternity brothers, he and I would always chop it up and talk, and he'd say, "You ever wonder where your mom is?" And I said, yeah, but I'm kind of afraid to find out because I don't want to, I just don't want to be in that. I, I can't deal with that. I really can't. And he said, well, at least just know where she is. And I said to my daughter, I said, well, China, you know, I've been thinking. And her name is China. I said, I don't know if your grandmother's alive or dead. And it's on my mind more and more, which means that's that. God is trying to tell you something. You need to know. So I reached out to my, my frat brother again, and he said, okay, let me check and see what I can find out. And he, he would talk, you know, every so often. He said, well, I keep checking. He said, she doesn't want to be found. He said, I'm coming up empty on a lot of my leads. But somewhere in the heights, somewhere over in the heights, but I don't know where. And it was the very next week I got a phone call from Memorial Herman over in the Heights. And at that particular time, I was still at work. My husband answered the phone and they asked for me. And uh, he said, well, she's not here. Can I take a message? And they said, well, it was Memorial Herman. We need to talk to her. And we can't give any information. So when I came in, he told me, but it was too late to call then. So I called the next morning, got the social worker. And... Um, she said, I think we have your mother, but I need to ask you some questions so we can verify your identity. And they asked me everything, and I asked, because I knew all her information, social security number, everything I knew. And she said, well, we have your Who mother. Who knows their mother's social security number? You you really are a nerd. I, yes, I, <laughs> what can I say? Yes, I know my children as okay. well, so yes. But I did, so I could verify. Nerd or an investigator. Or well, the borderline <laughs> next job, baby. Yeah. But I told her, she said, yeah, you're definitely her daughter. And we asked her if she had any family, and she said no. 
She said, but we're calling because, and I said, oh, Lord, what is this? I, I don't even know if I'm ready for this. And I was at work, and she said, um, your mother's not in good health, and we don't expect her to survive. We want to know if you're willing to take on the responsibility and make all decisions for her. And I thought, man, what, what a phone call. All that week, I had been listening to gospel music, just getting infused, infused, infused. I thought, okay, I listen to it, but not quite like this. But just every day, I would put it on, driving past the Galleria, bumper-to-bumper traffic, sometimes get a whole church sermon in. And I said, well, I know why now, because I was getting built up to be able to handle this journey, because I didn't know what that was going to be like. So the lady told me, I said, well, yes, ma'am. I said, I'll be there this afternoon. And I went and uh, asked for the social worker. And I said, how did you find me? She said, we went on the computer. She said, your mom, she said, we could tell she's not the kind of person that wouldn't have anybody. But she was adamant she had no family. But the last name was McSpatton. It was a maiden name, family name. She said, and it's not a lot of people with that spelling. And you go online and you look and you start pulling up names and it'll say, oh, this person may be associated with, Mm -hmm. she said, and you and your husband's name came up, but not your number, your husband's name and phone number. So that's why they call. And I said, oh, okay. She said, well, do you want to see her? I said, yeah, I'm here. So, yeah. So we went to the room and opened the door and I had always called my mother, Melanie. Because when I was small, I thought my mother was my sister because my grandmother was raising me. She lived with us, but she was usually gone or gone on the road with the entertainers or things like that. So was she incapacitated? When I saw her, yes. Okay. She had just had her kidney removed, cancer. And she looked at me and her eyes just, and she didn't say anything. And I said, it's me. I don't know you. I said, now you know what? You know you know me because I look just like you. And the social worker said, oh, my gosh, y'all sound just alike. My mother was in her 80s. And the social worker said, you have the same eyes. Your voice is the same. So how many days did you have her before she passed? I had six weeks. Six weeks. And how often did you go to the hospital? As much as my heart could stand. I brought my kids because she had not seen them in years. And what was her reaction when she saw them? She would talk to them like she just saw them yesterday. Same with my husband. And we were able to get her moved into a nursing home because I I could do it. I I just couldn't do it. It was so much that she needed. It was beyond anything that I was emotionally able to do. Mm -hmm. And I call it the nursing home from hell because I had no idea. It was a good one, but then management changed and it became the nursing home from hell. While she was there, I had to act like she was destitute, which technically she was. Uh, During that time when she was in the hospital, 
the apartment complex that she was in, they went and had a court order done to have her evicted. And fortunately, the apartment people wouldn't tell me anything, but one lady who worked there worked the night shift, and she said, I'm not supposed to tell you anything, but I'm going to tell you because what they're doing isn't right. She said, they're going to court tomorrow, and they'll take everything that she owns. You need to go to court. I said, where do I go? And she told me. She gave me the information. And I showed up at court the next day. And I prayed and I said, I'm pleading on the blood of Jesus that this judge will show me favor for my mother. Because I had been calling the apartment where my mother lived. And they would never call me back. So when the apartment people came up in front of the judge and he says, is there anyone else? And I came up. And the apartment people looked at me. And they said, do you know this lady? And they said, no. And they asked me, they said, do you know them? I said, I've seen them because I went, but they wouldn't talk to me. And the judge said, why wouldn't you talk to her? And they said, because Miss Max Patton said she didn't have any family. He said, so you didn't try to investigate to find out? Didn't that seem odd to you? And I said, well, she said she didn't have any family. They had got my mother to sign over everything everything. So um, the judge then said, well, if I give you seven days to take care of your mother's affairs, will you do it? And I know seven is a number of completion. And I said, yes, sir, I will. So within seven days, I had packed up everything, moved it away. Some have stored. Some I gave away to family and friends and said, she may not be able to have it. I may not want it, but I'll be doggone if you get to take it. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to her. My mother told me she had no insurance. So okay. I still got you. She said, you know I'm dying, don't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I do. I need you to tell me what you want. Because if you don't tell me, I'm going to do what I want to do. She would never tell me what she wanted. I was able to move my mother out of the the place that just did not breathe life into anyone, and I got her into Harbor Hospice. She survived 23 hours. And what was the last word she said to you? I always knew you would be okay, and I love you. Man, that is crazy. That's, that sounds like something my mama would have said, because my mama was particularly hard on me. Mm-hmm. And you know, she told me one day, like, you know, after beating the hell out of me, mm. she's like, the reason why I'm hard on you because you, you you're going to be better than the rest of them. Mm. And I, I remember saying, well, I don't want to be the rest, better than the rest of them if I got to go through this. Right. Yeah. Um, so after all of that, you... You eulogized your mother. What did you say? I did. Like, like what? Like what? What are like one of the like most poignant things that you remember saying during the eulogy? And well, uh, you also, I guess, used your money to bury her, right? You no. You say she didn't have insurance. So what happened? Right. Well, after going through my mother's things, my mother was a hoarder, a horrible hoarder. I could say a good hoarder. She hid money. She hid money orders. So how much paper she you hid found? Cash, but enough to give her the home going that she wanted. 
and to bless my children. Okay. So, no, we're not millionaires. That's why I still go to work. But uh, I'd probably go to work anywhere. But I had enough to pay for, and I pay for everything in cash. Right. So there were no extenuating bills. She um, never told me. I had planned to do the cremation. And we had everything set up at the church. And our youth pastor, Ray Beatty, shout out to Ray Beatty. And I asked him, and I had to tell him my story. He said, because I don't know your mom. And when I told him, he said, my God, oh, my God. If anybody knows Ray Beatty, that's something he always says. He said, yeah, I'll do it for you. And the sermon that he did was entitled Maximize the Dash. You get a birth date. Right. Get an end date. What did you do with your dash? dash. Yeah, right. So dash he, is important. Yeah. So he talked about me and the family and how he knew us and that we were the fruit of my mom. Well, I thought you eulogized her. He did. And then I came behind him. Okay. All right. And I got to speak and I talked about uh, tough love. And forgiveness, the power that's in forgiveness, which is why I could do that. I said, because I had to pray. I mean, everybody has to find some kind of way to deal with it. Mine was through prayer. And something that my pastor has said, hating somebody is like you drinking Drano, hoping they would die. And I never forgot that. That allowed me to just really start to release a whole lot of stuff a whole lot of baggage, and to understand that, um, like Oprah would say, you know, when you know better, you do better. better. So all these things. That's my Angela. Thank you. She was on Oprah's show when she said at that particular time. Thank you. Uh, Just hearing all these things that people have said to give me peace and to be a strong tower, to not cower and be broken down like, oh, pitiful me, I could have been this with my mama. Mm-mm, mm-mm. That wasn't in my fiber. If anything, I just needed to be undergirded to stay strong. I was already strong. I just didn't know it yeah, and yeah, needed yeah. that support. And I talked about um, mental health. And I said, my mother was mentally ill. When you jokingly say, oh, crazy Aunt Sally, uh, dumb Uncle Bubba, Everybody. Hey, I got Uncle Bubba now. Hold I, on. I had Uncle Hold Bubba on. too. You know, everybody's family. Shout out to Uncle Bubba, <laughs> my favorite uncle. Okay. Everybody's family has it. Yeah. But the question is, but why are they? What makes them crazy? What makes them goofy? What makes them silly in their eyes? And that's what, as a, as a people, as a people, culturally. We like to sweep it under the table and act like it doesn't exist. But having been the, the beaten child, it's like, oh, but it does exist because I lived through it and I lived to tell the story. Why did I get to live to tell the story? Because I'm supposed to help somebody. I'm supposed to help somebody else understand that when you start seeing, when they say if it looks like a duck and it's quacking like a duck, guess what? It's a duck. What are you going to do about it? Hook it up. Hmm. And a little roasted duck tastes pretty good sometimes. But exactly. don't ignore it. Yeah, the signs yeah, yeah. and symptoms are yeah. there. There's so many 
I have a, a granddaughter who's five years old. Smart as could be, smart as a whip. Of course, I say it because it's my grandchild. But still, the teachers at the school say, she is so smart. She's an old person. She's been here before. She talks like, you know, she's seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah, she's been around us. We didn't talk to her in baby talk. We started off talking regular English where she was walking at nine months. That's scary to have a nine-month-old that's already walking and was saying mama and da-da. But otherwise, it was the regular words. But does she have some issues? I could say genetically, maybe so. She's, and I don't want to say she is, but she's showing a little sign of being hyper. She's got to be busy. So knowing that, I could just say, oh, isn't that cute? Or say, okay, let me see what I need to Be do. Be proactive. Exactly. Yeah. How, how did you meet Marilyn Gambrell with No More Victims? Oh, my dear sweet friend. I was working at Sterling High School. I've been all over HISD. I was um, working as a graduation coach, working with kids, making them graduate because they didn't seem to want to. And some of the kids would come in and would say, oh, Mama G this and Mama G. Mama G? Who is Mama G? We have somebody on this campus named Mama G. Yeah, you don't know her? No. Miss, you need to meet her. So uh, a couple of them, they took me to where she was. And she was in a conference room. And they introduced me. And they said, oh, this is Mama G. And I said, I'm sorry, but what is your real name? She said, oh, the kids call me that. She said, I'm Marilyn Gambrell. And I said, oh, nice to meet you. Dr. Richardson, Chandra, whatever you want to call me. She I'm should good. have said, I am the great Merlin Gambrell, <laughs> friend of Willie D. But go oh ahead. My. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she didn't want to run me off on the first meeting. <laughs> right. But uh, I said, well, what do you do? And she said, well, I have this program called No More Victims. So what is that? So she said, well, basically, it's uh, a program that works with students whose parents or family members have been incarcerated. So, wow, I never even knew that existed. And what do you do? And in essence, it was um, an opportunity for, for kids to unleash and let it out and let the hurt and the anger and the pain go in a protected environment. And she would also take the kids to a prison, not to see their parents or anything like that, but to speak to inmates and let them know this is how your kids feel when you do the things that you do. So they would tell their own personal experiences. Yeah. And um, I noticed the kids were always, they might act a fool out in the hallway, but when they got in there mm -hmm. with her, it was like they were different people. They were calm and right. relaxed. They might right. be energized and, you know, talking loud and stuff, but otherwise right. they were just so much more peaceful. That's right. That's right. And, and, and shot, salute, because, you know, it's like they got to want it, right? And they all Absolutely. want it. And, and she has done such a remarkable job. I mean, not for years, but decades mm -hmm. with, that, with that program. And the kids that come through that program, all of them have experienced various degrees of pain mm -hmm. and, and just being neglected and let down by the right. adults in their lives. And to their credit, all of them, I'm talking about every single one of them, have just shown like incredible progress and just 
I mean, if you could tell when from the time that they come in to the time that they get just a few weeks under them, it's like she doesn't give up on and them. And she also empowers them. That's a big part mm-hmm. of it too. Is she empowers Absolutely. them, put them in leadership roles and things like yes, that. Yes, she does. Yeah, she's, yes, she does. Yeah, she's really good with um, that. I, I just felt so honored, first of all, to have met her. But then we were talking one day and she was, you know, kind of laid back. But I would say Marilyn's a crybaby. So when something touches her heart, she's just spewing tears like crazy. And I thought, oh, what is wrong with this lady? She's crying every time you turn around. And one day, um, some of the kids, I guess they probably had a conversation with her because I didn't go to the meetings. But then I got invited to a meeting. And I was given the opportunity of telling what I say is my truth, tell my story. So I told a little bit of my story and the kids were shocked because they know me as Dr. Richardson, you know, the, the lady who has it together. And mm-hmm. I said, oh, this, this is like a lucky accident that y'all get to know me this way. I was not the one who had it all together either. And I told them about my mom and stuff that I had gone through and they were just really, really shocked. And Next thing I know, the offer came if I wanted to be sworn in. And I said, well, I guess so, if, if y'all want me. And they said, yes. Yeah. So I was sworn in, and they got honor cores that they had at graduation. They even gave me an honor core that I could wear, and I was really impressed. Well, years later, I moved, went to another school, and over the last two years, I wound up being at a school again. I taught at Worthing 21 years ago, actually a teacher. And now I'm back at Worthing in another role as the coordinator. Ghetto Boys Reloaded Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. 
Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Tell me about these scholarships that you help uh, raise. Uh, mm. How are you like, like are responsible for raising millions of dollars? Yes, sir. I've been blessed, truly blessed, and I bless the kids. Uh, relationships, not just with the students, but outside relationships. And when I tell people what I do, and I said, do you, do you have any, or does your foundation do, or do you recommend somebody? Do you know somebody? And sometimes they say yes. And then, for the record, I am a coordinator for college access. But I say I'm a coordinator for college, military, and career access. Mm-hmm. I cover all the bases, literally. Life access. Life access. Yeah. I come in, I introduce myself, and I tell them my name. I said, but just because I give you that name, that's not who I am. That's just something that I have, something that I've earned, something mm-hmm. that I work for. You see the outside cover, but you don't know the inside story. And I tell the story, and they look at me in disbelief. I say, if I can do it, I can also help you do it. And I don't care if you go to college. And they look at me like, what is, she's the college lady. What is she talking about? I say, I really don't care if you go to college. What I care about is do you have a plan? And is it a workable plan? Because if you come to me and you got a, what, a, a 0.75 GPA, and then you tell me, oh, miss, I, I want to go to Yale. I want to go to Harvard. Uh, let's Let's sit down and look at this realistically. And I'm not going to tell you no. I'm just going to say, not right now. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we need to do. And sometimes it maybe started Houston Community College. I had to go backward. Because I messed up. Nobody messed me up. I messed up. I made all those choices myself. But then once I figured out what I needed to do, I got my act together and I graduated. And I was making the dean's list. And Mm -hmm. I got what I would call a good job, a decent salary where I could help my family and get my kids to understand you can do whatever you want to do. But have some paper behind you. You said that people are in disbelief when you tell your story. Mm -hmm. What's the most remarkable part of your story that they don't believe? (laughs) That I came up in Sunnyside. Yeah. Or that I was born in Third War. Or that I did come from a dysfunctional family. That uh, when my mother passed away, that I eulogized my mother. And in that eulogy, I talked about mental illness and how it affects a family. Because my mother had it. And so what made your family dysfunctional? Because, you know, from what I heard, you know, you had a loving mother, mm-hmm. a loving grandmother, a loving Absolutely. grandfather. And that was the tribe, you mm-hmm. know, or at least the immediate part of your tribe. Right. So what, what made, where did the dysfunction come from? Well, when you look at society's 
analysis and definition of what family is. Family is a mother, father, and children in the same house. Well, it was a mom. No dad. In the legal aspect. And you shouldn't be on welfare. But we were. And my mother was. And my mother had not graduated from high school. So she was of no help to me. But she was adamant, oh, you're going to go to school. You're going to go to high school. When it came to going to college, I, what do I know about that? Who was I talking to about college other than the people at school or my classmates? And I distinctly remember my counselor, Ms. Jean Foster from Madison High School, who said, and what are you going to do? Where are you going to school? And I said, oh, I'm not going. The question, why? Because uh, my mother said, we don't have money for that. Huh? Well, do you want to go? Well, yeah, I guess. Uh, hmm. Well, if I get you some money, will you go? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, so she gave me papers. Take them home. Let your mother fill them out. Oh, no, ma'am. I can't take this home to my mother. Why? Because she said, I'm not going. Girl, take that stuff home. And I took it home. And my mother said, I'm not filling this out. Mess with my welfare check. I'm not doing that. Now, was your mom... Did she use welfare at, to subsidize her income, or did she, did she have a job, or she, she just My mother was welfare. the most talented seamstress in the city of Houston. Mm -hmm. She sewed for all the entertainers like James Brown, Tina Turner, uh, the TSU Taranados. Ali. She, Muhammad she Ali. She had for the wife, the <laughs> wife, the. Okay. She did it in Houston. Melanie's Fashions. Uh, she was in a shop next door to Ray Barnett's Cinder Club, the old Cinder Club, next Man, to the Palais Royale. Uh, she was at the Continental Showcase. Whatever she wore, it was an original design by Melanie. Her name was Melanie, M-E-L-L-O-W-N-E-E. -E. Melanie McSpadden. Melanie, wow. And she did it. She was around all the entertainers, and she took me too. I was 10, 11, 12 years old, sitting in the Continental Showcase with my mother, who had a front and center table. Now, you can say, well, that's not normal. But back then, a lot of stuff wasn't normal. Mm -hmm. But that's what we did. And we had matching outfits and things of that nature. But my mother was in abusive relationships where men beat her. Men beat her. And I saw it. I saw the aftermath, I saw the black eyes, I saw the bites on her face. Um, I was in a car with her once when I was about 10, and one of the gentlemen that she married. Don't call that sucker a gentleman. I'm being gracious. Don't, don't I'm being gracious. I have to be He's gracious. A clown, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, was shooting at her down the street, driving down Cullinan Airport. I remember. I remember him shooting out the glass. I remember having glass in my hair. I remember wow. it. And she married him after my grandfather had passed. As long as my grandfather was alive, she wouldn't marry him because my grandfather said no. He was no good for her. But mm -hmm. you the think heart. Your grandfather would have popped him up. Oh, my grandfather would have probably did more than that. Well, I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Uh, and probably so, made him disappear after. Right. But, yeah, she was in a lot of uh, abusive relationships, but she was very popular because of her clothing, 
She was a certified, licensed beautician. She was a barber. This was from the woman who didn't graduate from high school. But when I was graduated well, had, from she, high she had school, trades though, and that's why it's so important to bring those trades back. Yeah, we got to take the trades out of the prisons and put them right. back into the schools. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So beautiful. I learned from her how to do hair, but it, I didn't want to do it. And I learned from her how to sew. I didn't want to do it, but my calling was different. Right. Still different. Do Do you think that your mother's abusive relationships had uh, any type of effect on your own personal oh, relationships? Absolutely. Was you ever absolutely. in a, an abusive relationship? Well, I'll just say yes. I wasn't beaten. I wasn't sexually assaulted. But um, there was a, a guy that I had dated once in college, and he was kind of jealous. But we were always around his friends, which was fine because they treated me like the, the sister. And one particular time I said, oh, well, I, I, I wasn't ready to go yet or something like that. And, and he grabbed my arm and twisted it behind my back. And I used some choice, non-Dr. Richardson words on him. And our friends were like, dude, what you doing? Uh-uh, you don't do her like that. In fact, you leave. Yeah. You leave. Oh, man. And I man, made the man. mistake of Salute. telling my mother. Yeah. And at the time, I was living in Beaumont and working and going to school in Beaumont. Because remember, I failed. I couldn't go back to U mm -hmm. of H, so I was moving around. But my mother said, I'm coming. It was like the movie, I'm coming and I'm bringing hell with me. And I was like, oh, no, what I tell her for? She go, that's the one that's going to kill somebody. And I was like, no, don't. Mm -mm, I'm, I'm not even talking to him anymore. You get one time. So you shut it down? I shut it down. All the way down? Yeah. No, no, what do you call it? No, no looking back last... over my shoulder. Nope. Yeah. Mm -mm. I yeah, refuse yeah. to look back. That's how you do it. And Never huge, heard huge uh, salute to the friends because that's what it takes. It takes men mm -hmm. to educate men. Men listen to men. I mean, you know, you can listen to a woman, whatever, but most men, you know, uh, they're going to they're gonna listen to men because they feel like women have an ulterior motive. And just like women, sure. women listen to women. Women feel like if a man go to talking and stuff, it's because he has an ulterior motive. He wants mm -hmm. something from us. Something. Mm -hmm. He's trying to benefit in some way. So men listen to men, and that's why it is important for men to step up when they see their homeboy their brother, cousin, or whatever, getting out of line, being aggressive with women, uh, shut it down. We don't do that. We don't mm -hmm. do that around here, bro. You, same thing even with, you know, just taking care of your kids and being neglected. You know what I'm saying? You know, being neglectful. Hey, man, hey, we don't do that, homeboy. We take care of your kids. Mm -hmm. Because if a dude will bring a child, be responsible for bringing a child into this world and turn his back on his own flesh and blood, his own seed, I know what he'll do to me. Mm -hmm. Now, he, he may have not done it yet because, you know, we haven't gotten to that point. But that's what he's capable of doing. So, yeah, big shout out, man. You, you resemble who you assemble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank Beautiful. You. Thank well, you. Doc, Dr. 
Chandra, 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 Chandra Richardson. I got it, man. Dr. <laughs> Chandra Richardson. Hey, thank you for coming over. We can do this again, though, because I, some other things that I wanted to talk about, but uh, we going to talk anyway. We got to talk anyway. Coming out of abuse. Excuse me? When it's the family. Coming out of abuse. When it's in the family. When it's in the family. Right. When it's in the and family. And we deal with that at school. Yeah. More than people would imagine. It's a lot of hurt kids out It's there. most people in the world, I think, come from some form of abusive, you know, family situation. Like some kind of abuse is there. You know, whether it's physical abuse or emotional abuse, it's something there almost all the time. I just think that a lot of people just don't have the tools to, to parent, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but everybody got the tools to have sex, you know, mm, and facts. everybody get horny. You know what I'm saying? But again, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And how me. can people reach you? I can be reached at. Hmm, well, I got am. An email address or something you can gainfully employed. I, I can say where. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm with the Houston Independent School District, and I'm at Worthing High School in the South Side uh, and the Pride of Sunnyside. Uh, they definitely can reach out there. My email address is Chandra C H A N D R A dot Richardson R I C H A R D S O N at att.net There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for your cooperation. All right, no more talk. This episode was produced by A King and brought to you by the Black Effect Podcast Network and, and iHeartRadio. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.